0: You're not going to speak up. I think that's George Orwell saying that was one of the key rules of boarding school is that you do not speak up. And that's why I think why sexual abuse is so prevalent in these places is because you are taught very quickly, you do not grasp, even if something terrible is happening, you do not speak up. And then the other thing is, there's no parents there. Parents pick up. Oh, my son or daughter is upset what's going on but if you don't see them for nine ten months of the years you're going to miss out on those t- types of things so i think the trauma bonding is yeah you know what they've been through and you know that they're not going to speak up they're going to toe the line most of us at, as boarding school most of us are compliers i was a complier you do what you're told and i think that has a big aspect that that plays into it
1: Hi I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life.
2: We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. Today's guest is Piers Cross. Piers is the host of the Evolving Man podcast and he's also a hypnotherapist and a coach hi Piers and welcome
0: Mm, thank you David and thank you Naomi and yeah I really appreciate you inviting me on to speak Um, I love what you you've done I've listened to quite a few episodes over the years so you're doing amazing work thank you
1: Thank you. And it's really nice to connect with you again, Pierce, after coming on your podcast, actually. Really great to, to get the chance to talk again. Pierce, tell, can you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing now? Because it sounds like quite an interesting range of activities that you're involved in.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'd say 90% of my work is one-to-one work with men. I do work with some women and most of my clients are ex-boarding school or they've been through some form of trauma and i really first got into this probably i started coaching 2006 2007 and then about seven eight years ago i posted a video on my youtube channel about my boarding school experiences and quite quickly people started to email me saying i'd like to work with you and so from just being a general coach i then just began focusing on ex borders because of the experience of me i'd been to boarding school it'd been a very horrific experience having a breakdown and then what were the tools i i used some of the other things i do i am a scout leader a duke of edinburgh assessor i've just come back from a weekend in the peaks although i have got too busy i've actually stepped down i've, I've been doing it for 14 years but just i can't fit everything in I'm also making a documentary about the impact of boarding school on the world that so many of our global leaders in all areas have been to boarding school. What's the impact on us? And then I also do men's circles. I do my podcast and I also write. I've, I've written a book and my second book, still looking for a publisher for that uh, about my boarding school experience. So that's what I do
1: now. Thank you. And obviously that experience of boarding is really speaking to a lot of people and I know some of our most popular uh, conversations that we've held were with people like uh, Richard Beard, Joanna Britton and Simon Partridge who'd all had that experience of boarding. What is it about the experience you think that causes people, that leaves people in a position where they need to reach out for support in adulthood? Because a lot of people might view boarding school as a privilege, this luxury that, that somewhere where rich, posh people, privileged, advantaged people can send their children.
0: Yeah, it is. It's fascinating, as Nick Duff says, it's very complex. On the surface, it seems like a privilege. You get a good education, you get a good job, but the parents aren't there. And if you look at child psychology, developmental psychology, there's no one who says you should separate your children from parents there's none which says it's good for them and so immediately that's the premise of boarding school you don't have your parents for nine ten months of the year i've just been speaking to nikki moxie on my podcast and she's talking about third culture kids so these are people who've been taken out of africa or asia and sent to boarding school they don't go home for a year or sometimes two or three and i think that's one of the reasons is you don't have your parents there And we need them, especially in puberty. They say, oh, when you get to 13, it's okay. It's no, you need privacy, which we often don't get at boarding school. And the other thing is you need parenting. That means they have to physically be there. And I'm going to be interviewing this lady in a a couple of weeks, Sarah Ockwell smith And listening to her, she's saying, actually, your children need you more when they're in their tweens. So eight to 13 or 13 to 18 than they do when they're younger, especially emotionally. And we don't get that at all at boarding school.
1: You didn't always work in as a therapist or a coach, did you? You were doing something, you had a whole career before yeah. then. So what led to you making that transition into being a therapist, a hypnotherapist and a coach?
0: Yeah, so it's my own journey, really. I had a, a catastrophic breakdown on one level, essentially homeless. Before going to boarding school, I was very much into sport, but nature, creativity, stories. And very soon after getting to to school, I turned to maths and studying hard, dropped all the creativity, and I went on to business school. And I went to both France and London. I did a a four-year degree And I eventually graduated into the city in the financial sector, worked in banking, sales. And when I had my breakdown in 2000 and essentially became homeless for a few months, it was around that time I realized the impact that boarding school had had on me. That's when I transitioned into working with others. I had a a big breakthrough in the monastery. I was there for three years. And then it was like, ah, I want to help others. And so that was about 2007, 2006, I started to teach meditation, 2006, 7, I started working one-to-one with people as well.
1: Thank you, Pierce. So you raised there how you'd had this career initially in the financial world and also thinking, I saw you on recently on GB News where you were referencing a number of individuals, high profile individuals who on the face of it look like very successful people why are exporters so often occupationally successful do you think and do you also think that then undermines our ability to have empathy for some of the pain that they might be experiencing
0: i think so to to answer the first question why are we occupationally successful i think first thing is workaholism we Mm -hmm. learn at boarding schools as nick duffel says this timetabling we learn from seven in the morning through to nine thirty at night you're on the go especially the first couple of years if you're seen being idle you either get told off or you get given a duty like go and make me toast go and do a cup of tea so you want to be seen always doing something so that's i've noticed that i went to holiday i went on holiday last year with my wife to greece and i got to the airport and i saw people just sat in the airport workers just having a cup of tea and i'm like i rarely see that in the uk people just sat around you've got to be doing something so i think that's one of the reasons they're occupationally successful is they work long hours but the second thing i think is this entitlement illusion this idea that actually you the networking so when i got my job in the city on leaving business school the guy who was interviewing me went to boarding school and he'd taken my cv on and he employed me because he knew my school he's you're a good egg peers and he employed me and so i think this is a key aspect of why we become occupationally successful is because there's the network if you go to boarding school the chance of you getting to oxford and cambridge is one in 20 Yeah, But if you've been to state school, the chance of you going to uh, Oxford and Cambridge is one in 2000, which is the same as Bono becoming Pope. That's a huge difference. And then you get to Oxford and Cambridge, especially if you go in for PPE, which is politics, philosophy and economics. So many of the BBC, so many of the Home Office have been to and, and have done ppe according to um, rob of a cake so i think those are a few of the reasons is that i think it was tony blair who said that he worked really hard yes you work hard but you also get a foot up because you've been to these schools you look at the higher echelons of british society the head of the bbc boarding school the head of channel 4 boarding school head of mi6 head of the church of england Richard Branson, and how many prime ministers? Our current prime minister, the chancellor, all boarding school, 75% of Liz Trusses were boarding school, her government. She wasn't herself. And you're like, okay, yeah, there's something happening here.
1: I had a couple of thoughts when you're talking. I don't. Have you interviewed? I can't remember his name now, but he wrote Chums, and he's mm. actually South African, I think. Uh, mm. So he was observing the class system in the UK. But he was at Oxford, and mm. spoke about how at Oxford really it's just a rehearsal for party politics because they they stand for president of the students union every term, and so they just have this endless competition that prepares them really for political hustings, which I thought was quite interesting. But also, as you were talking, I was wondering about the networking. I'm wondering if there's something a bit deeper going on as well, because there's that idea, isn't there, that people bond through adversity, the kind of trauma bond. And -hmm. I wonder Mm -hmm. if some of what happens when you're given a job by somebody who's also been to the same school as you is not just that you've been to the same school but also you both at some subconscious level there's a recognition that you've been through that same painful experience as each other
0: i think so i think so it's like it is an initiation not an initiation in a positive way but of an initiation that most people you're broken on one level but if you show emotion if you show anger, tears, everyone goes at you. You learn very quickly to suppress those things and also to toe the line. So it's it's almost like they know that you're not going to grasp, you're not going to speak up. I think that's George Orwell saying that was one of the key w- rules of boarding school, is that you do not speak up. And that's why I think why sexual abuse is so prevalent in these places, is because you are taught very quickly you do not grasp even if something terrible is happening you do not speak up and then the other thing is there's no parents there parents pick up oh my son or daughter is upset what's going on but if you don't see them for nine ten months of the years you're going to miss out on those types of things so I think the trauma bonding is, yeah, you know what they've been through and you know that they're not going to speak up. They're going to toe the line. Most of us at as boarding school, Nick Duffel talks about the idea of the uh, strategic survival personality. Most of us are compliers. I was a complier. You do what you're told. And I think that has a big aspect that that plays into it.
2: Boarding schools like to claim that they're promoting independence and resilience do you think that's true when i say that
0: no i think as i said on the gb news interview boarding schools create dissociation not resilience resilience is connected to your heart to your feelings it's you can that connection whereas dissociation it can seem to everyone else god he's really tough that was me my sister said in my father's funeral in my 20s he says. So, oh you didn't cry you're really strong I said, no i'm dissociated i can't feel anything I, I i couldn't feel love i couldn't feel anything so i think the idea of resilience that's untrue dissociate if you're resilient that lasts throughout your life dissociation what i found it only lasts for a few years people come to me when they're in their 30s or 40s or 50s that resilience stops working and suddenly they have their breakdown and it's as nick duffel often points out it's often when their children are eight when they go to the same age that they went to boarding school or something happens the birth of their child then that resilience that dissociation stops working they can't use it anymore and they think there's something wrong with them no nothing wrong with them so that's the resilient and then what was the other word you said was it independence uh, and uh, resilience independence and i think no what it creates is it's we become an island unto ourselves we can't connect to people you noticed say john major and Helmut cole in the 90s he created a good relationship with them and that eased our passage into europe whereas you look at david cameron or boris johnson they're on their own if you look at the the footage of them in europe they made no connections and so i think it doesn't create independence again it's just it's that that shut offness we can do everything ourselves but we need people we need other people so yeah i disagree with with both those points
2: no i can see
0: So So I was just
1: going to say that was such an interesting point about the, you just taking that example of Europe, for instance, and the difference between isolation and independence, which they seem to be confusing for people who've been to boarding school.
0: Yeah. 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 Thanks, Naomi. I think so. We are isolated. We're isolated. And I think this is one of the things with boarding school. People say maybe my parents went there, but it's, you lose your parents, you lose your friends from home you lose your food you lose your home you lose your privacy you lose everything you are totally isolated as as joy sharon says you're captive uh, and yeah you're isolated not independent
2: that's a very powerful word isn't it when you put it like about being captive hmm? casts a completely different uh, complexion on on things
0: yeah and i think your podcast about locked up living i was just thinking how many of the books in john Peel's book margrave of the marshes he says we were inmates in here bear grills he says we were prisoners there's quite a few others who say we were prisoners i think it's stephen fry in this book he says boarding schools are like prison There's so many references when you look between the lines to it being a prison. You can't escape. It's not as if it's a school in the center of a town. You can just run out and you go to the shops or see your mates. No, you're in the middle of the countryside. And you can't, if you do run away, often people will bring you back, your parents or the teachers or the police. I knew quite a few people who ran away, but they were brought back. And I was reflecting as I was preparing for today's interview, I'm thinking, what happens if a prisoner escapes from a prison? Same thing. They're just brought back. Same. That's what happened to us at school. I don't know. The only way people escaped from the school was either suicide or being expelled.
1: That's quite striking, isn't it, that there's no escape from it. And also, I suppose it makes me think about... Political party's approach to imp- actual imprisonment is any surprise that people are looking for things that are tougher and more punitive because, by their standards, in terms of what they've experienced, it probably seems like that's just something anyone can get used to.
0: Yeah. And as Jung said, the psychological rule states that when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. So you're imprisoned as a child, you would go into a position of leadership, but you're unconsciously not dealt with it you're going to say that's what we need for the prisoners
2: yeah Yeah. that's fascinating and there's a bit of a paradox i'm not sure if it is a paradox i'll have to think about this later but of course if you're a parent who sends your children to school you do want them contained and kept there Uh, but of course the subtext is but not by me and that's the telling part So when did you decide to share your boarding school journey, Piers?
0: Yeah, I think it was, I'd been putting videos onto YouTube. So I'd been doing coaching, meditation, and I I joined YouTube, I think, 2006. And I had quite a lot of views around my meditation. And just one day I was thinking, oh, what's a different subject I could talk about? okay i'll talk about my boarding school i read a lot of books and i done a lot of research and i was like mm, okay so i recorded it it's quite long and then i sat on it for ages because it's like you don't speak up i can feel some resistance just talking now is one of the things you learned not to do was to speak up but eventually i put it up and yeah People started to contact. I I was worried that I'd get lots of abuse, and that first video I put up, I think I've had about ten thousand, possibly ten thousand views on it, and just a hundred percent likes on it. Every now and again, I get a negative comment, but it's like one out of a hundred. Saying that the comment usually is that, oh, it's because you're weak, Pierce. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs>
2: But that does sum up something, doesn't it? This idea of weakness. Mm. I, I can remember that kind of ethos being around when I was a kid in the playground. I didn't go to a boarding school, but mm. the idea of being accused of being weak was terrifying.
0: Yeah. It was the, one of the insults at school, or one of the worst at my school was you were gay. You were called gay. That was the ultimate... And it was like we weren't allowed to touch each other. If you touched, then you were considered gay. Stephen Fry talks about that of a boy who had cramp in the the swimming pool at his boarding school, and he just helped him because he cramped Put his arm around him and walked him along. And the rumor went around the school really quickly that because he'd done that, he was gay. And he was very lucky that a master went in saw that stephen was unhappy and he was upset he says what's up and so stephen told him what happened he says oh don't worry i'll sort it out and he spoke publicly in front of the whole school and says just want to praise stephen he really helped this this child and that shows real courage a real hero and then everyone dropped it and so it was dropped but that type of thing that you have no touch and as joy sharon says it's the lack of appropriate touch for a significant part of childhood is a serious deprivation skin hunger to not touch the child children
2: having said that of course piers and you've mentioned this already you then went on and spent time living as a, a monk where presumably there wasn't much touch there but what was it like and and what did you gain from that period?
0: Yeah, it's true. There wasn't much touch there. I was celibate, so I wasn't a, a full monk. I was just a, a novice, Buddhist monk. So I wore white robes, shaved my head. And how was it? On one level, it was absolute transformational. Incredible. And on the other level, it was hell. It was so hard i hear people saying oh i wish i'd love to go to a monastery and i'm like "Mm, it's actually pretty tough because i had no distractions suddenly it was like going cold turkey from a a life i'd just been running away drink drugs prostitutes it was like i I didn't have any of those things anymore so i had to meet myself and i self-harmed I tried to commit suicide two or three times. I was admitted to A and E four times for self-harming or punching holes through walls, and uh, I broke my, my 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 hand here, broke my foot, opened my vein. It was really tough. And I was seeing a Jungian analyst at the time, and I had the support of the monks. So I ended up really transforming. It was hugely transformational. Started to cry again. I hadn't cried since i was very young since pre-boarding school all of these things reawoken and it was both hell and an amazing experience and i had some very enlightening experiences at one point it got so difficult that i as a te- one of the teachers he said when you can't go forward and you can't go back and you can't stand still that is where you practice and i was there sat on my bed and i i I realized i'd been sexually abused as a child at boarding school and that came to me and i just thought i can't look at the past it's too painful and i thought i've got no future i couldn't look at the future and it was so painful being in the present at that moment i had an enlightenment experience a bit like eckhart tolle talks and for just 10 minutes i was in bliss And then it changed, and then I went back into hell again. But it was really lovely for those 10 minutes just to go,
2: oh,
0: this is just awesome. Just being in that presence. Yeah, it was both amazing and incredibly tough.
2: And and so was it you entered the monastery after your time in the financial sector?
0: Yeah, so I worked in the financial sector till 2000 then my father died which was a catalyst around my breakdown because my father was ex-boarding school and he said to me on his deathbed he said to me because i said to him dad i felt like you've hated me my whole life and this was just before he died and he turned to me and it's the only second time i ever saw him cry he burst into tears and he says piers i do love you my whole life's been a lie and so that really woke me up really so that was 2000 then 2001 i went to africa try to find myself to help others but it was coming from a place of self-hatred if i can help others i can ignore myself and then 2002 is when i got to the monastery so yes it was after the financial um, my work in the financial sector and
2: then you also as you mentioned uh met with a, a young ian therapist why did you choose that is it because it resonated well with the the background of the the monastery
0: no i think i was just very fortunate i was seeing a therapist and she said to me one day you need to read the book making of them by nick duffel so i'm like okay yeah great and went in one ear went out the other but i got back to the monastery and there was this book in front of my door in the monastery it was like that so I turned it the right way up and I'm like oh my god and one of the monks had been to boarding school he thought on that day oh it would be good for peers to read the making of them so that was the book that was there and so I was seeing this lady but after about six months the abbot just said to me peers your therapy is not working I was still self-harming I was a mess really and so he said i think you should go and see this lady she's a supporter of the monastery she's offered to do therapy with you and another monk for free you just got to travel it was to edinburgh which was about a seven hour round trip each each week and so it wasn't really a choice yeah i'll choose jungian i wasn't really i didn't have a clue what jungian was it was more a wise older man who was like, this will really help you. And it did. It was very transformational. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Pierce. You mentioned that one of the other monks had got a history of being boarding school educated. I wondered to what degree people have often retreated into monasteries as a way of coping when life has been more difficult.
0: I think so. I think... I found there was different categories of people who went to the monastery some were deeply wounded we would often have people because there's angulimala which is the prison chaplaincy for buddhism that used to go in so we used to have people who'd been to prison and one of the guys i lived with had spent quite a bit of time inside and so There would often be people, yeah, who'd done terrible things and they would come to the monastery because it was like actually meeting ourselves. Not everybody came as a way of retreating. Some just loved the teachings. They'd had a beautiful, uh, secure attachment. They'd had a lovely life and it was like they were just inspired and so they came that way. But yeah, probably a third to a half had been through some quite challenging upbringings and then there were the others who'd had a little bit of suffering a little bit of challenge so i think it was said third some had no challenge others had a bit of challenge and then there were the others who'd had a a, a lot of trauma Uh, often the ones with a lot of trauma we didn't stay that long it was just too tough really you know
1: it sounds a hard a hard uh, existence really or something that requires a lot of strength to maintain
0: yeah so we didn't eat after midday there was no um, sex no masturbation nothing you're totally celibate you couldn't watch the internet couldn't watch tv you know there was only i think i worked out five or six things i could do one was exercise one was eat before midday read work and meditate do some exercise but that was basically it if i wanted to go into town i had to ask permission so yeah it was intense
1: but in (laughs) some ways it sounds like there's a resonance there with boarding school in terms of the toughness and the and the intensity but i I suppose i wondered what the uh, obviously there's differences isn't there and i wondered what the how that differed in terms of being something that might be a way of life to aspire to for some people as opposed to the boarding school training
0: yeah i think the boarding school training the, the thing is is you're on your own as uh, david was saying about independence no you're just on your own whereas i felt in the monastery i had a, a tribe around me it felt like i'd come home actually so although it was boarding school like and i found it easier than most to fit into it because of that it, there were really kind people who had my best interests at heart and they did everything they could to be there. So the abbot said to me, anytime, day or night, and you're struggling for the first six months or so, you should come and knock on my door. And so that was the difference. Whereas in boarding school, I had those offers, but then they sexually abused me. That was the difference is that they cared about me, whereas they didn't care about me. In boarding school.
1: Thank you. And Piers, we connected because of your podcast, "The Evolving Man." Why did you decide to start this, and what's the focus of your podcast?
0: Yeah, so I started it in two thousand and twenty, and it was beginning of lockdowns. Really, that I uh, there was a few things I'd said I wanted to do, and I'd put them off and put them off. And I saw people were really struggling with their mental health and. So I was like, I've always wanted to speak to one of my friends. With, he's Rod Boothroyd, who's the author of Warrior, Magician, Lover, King, about the archetype. So I said, like, oh, I'd love to speak to him. So I reached out, asked him, and that, that was the first episode. And then the focus is psychology, but gradually it moved into boarding school. I interviewed Alex Renton, Joy Shavron, then Nick Duffel, and a lot of my podcasts it might be child development but i link it into boarding school because i just feel that it's such a key issue in current society and yes it's only one percent but the people who are making these decisions it impacts everyone and soon as you look at the psychology it's oh yeah it's wide-ranging so that's really the focus is child development trauma attachment theory, boarding school, and how they link in and that together. As
2: you, you've mentioned already some of your other work as a hypnotherapist and coach. Is there anything you'd like to add to that to describe you know, the kind of issues and problems that you specialise in?
0: I think most men who come to me present the same issues Most it's struggle with intimacy struggle with connecting to emotions struggle with workaholism often depression addictions so that these common presenting symptoms and the common underlying thing is the boarding school under that some it's also insomnia uh, some depression and i think i guess how i work is i work based on my story really so partly it's the importance in the monastery of the routine of the meditation the practices and so that's partly what i bring into my coaching is let's create some positive behaviors this routine this structure so the monastery the daily routine the abbot once said to me so the daily routine is there so the difficult things like the celibacy getting on together Becomes a lot easier. You just know you get up at five o'clock and you meditate. And so that's what I part of the aspect that I bring into my coaching is right, let's create some positive behaviors, meditation, eating well, sleeping well. These things is that's the kind of the core foundations. And then the other aspect of my coaching is looking at the unconscious. So my fascination with the archetypes and the Jungian work is let's create an inner kingdom we didn't have parents at school so we learned from other boys so our impression it's almost like we've not really sculpted or this inner cup as as robert moore talks this is almost the inner crucible to hold ourselves, the big s and so that's part of the work for me is that we create this inner kingdom and i call them it comes from jung and uh, robert moore the king the warrior the magician the lover or the queen the warrior and what are they what is it a mature masculine man a mature feminine woman what is that and so that's partly the structure that i use is helping me men to to cultivate this and women as well and then also revisiting some of the trauma and i use a technique called eft which i found very useful and it's just as we connect into some of the trauma which happened at school or in our lives and we tap it just neutralizes this trauma so we can reflect on it but it's no longer i had one client who was in his 70s and he said every time he went to boarding school at age six he says even in the 70s he said every time i remember boarding school it's like being punched in the stomach and he said, now, after we'd done the tapping, he says, now I can remember it and I don't feel that pain. Yeah, that's some of the work. And, it, and it's, yeah, I find it so inspiring that we can change.
1: Thank you. And we will share a link to your website and LinkedIn on in our show notes so that if people want to find you, they're able to.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you. You're also making a film. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: yeah so the film basically came out similarly from the podcast So speaking to these amazing people and i think also I'd, I'd written my book and the book had been rejected and i was like well, oh, what do i do and some of my friends one's a filmmaker another is a, a producer and i mentioned the idea and they're like that's a great idea because the, the director had been to boarding school himself So we started to explore the idea that telling some of my story of what I went through at boarding school, and I've not shared what happened, but for me, age 14, I was deeply depressed, suicidal, and I had one guy I used to speak to. He was a couple of years older than me. He was my mentor, and he used to come and sit by my bed when I was depressed, or I'd go to his study. And one day when I was really depressed, he committed suicide. He jumped in front of the train and died and that devastated me the one person i was speaking to in the school and so the school told us to go to the priests to the priest to to go and get counseling and when i went he sexually abused me and for me that was like what the fuck it's like (laughs) the worst i could be that the most dark space i could ever be in and someone does that and so that's partly the film. It's to share my story, but also the journey of transformation. and But also linking it into leaders. It's I'm not the only one. As I said on GB News, people saying, oh, that's a terrible story. You're the only one. I'm like, no. Okay, Stephen Fry, Jack Whitehall even, he didn't want to go to boarding school. Eddie Izzard went age six. The food there for him was unpalatable gabriel Byrne sexually abused at boarding school richard branson was beaten so badly at boarding school until he bled i'm not the only one is what i'm trying to say what's the impact elon musk was thrown down the stairs at boarding school he was hospitalized what is the impact of having people in positions of power who are traumatized but haven't done therapy it's still unconscious. As Jung said, the unconscious rule states when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. We need to be asking this question. So that's the film is to ask this and how can we then heal?
2: Good luck with that. Sounds a very brave film, a challenging film to to make. Mm. You've had a lot of experience in creating a healthy life for yourself. Mm. Do you think we should all spend time Uh, in a kind of monistic
0: environment do you think that would be good for each of us i think so i think so in thailand this is less so now but 20 30 years ago it was an unwritten rule that every man on leaving university or 18 19 they would all go and spend three months in a buddhist monastery and you had to do that in order for you to be eligible to ask a, a woman to marry it was just the done thing it's less so now but that was transformational and i think yes we have to start looking within and i don't necessarily think everyone has to go to a monastery but i think everyone needs to do some form of transformation whether that's therapy whether that's coaching whether that's doing men's circles women's circles i think we need we're just focused outward we've got to realize that there's an inner side to us as well and we've got to explore if we don't we're going to dump that which is unconscious out in the world and go oh fate it's like, <laughs> So like we've got to do this work it's in paramount so not everyone i think has to go to a monastery for me as you heard it was pretty difficult but some form of inner work um, i think is so needed so, yeah. I
1: think what you're speaking of is that kind of mm, the human need for crisis that human need for growth which mm-hmm. actually people often find ways to not manage to do but if you're able to embrace the opportunities for growth then there's a richness that comes with that and you know, I can only thank you for sharing your stories with so much candor today It'd be very powerful to to hear about the experiences that you've had and thank you for doing the work that you're doing and sharing your story, which hopefully can help other people. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you to you, Naomi, and to David for doing your podcast is very inspiring. I keep looking at, Oh my God, they've done this many. <laughs> I'm struggling to keep up but I, I just love that you're also having these conversations so bless you for your work as well thank you
2: thank you very much Piers. really great to uh, meet with you
0: mm, a pleasure david thank you